Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Hey everybody, welcome into it, the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast here on this Thursday morning. I'm Eric Kane with Austin Price making a return. How you How you feeling? Getting better every day, you see. Getting better. I, I mean, I, my, I, voice, my voice will sound strong at points, and then at other times it's going to sound like, is he drunk? So, so well, normal. Um, what's what's your favorite what's your favorite flavor of Jello at this point in time? Are you a are you a, a blackberry guy? Are you an orange guy? I'm a strawberry guy. Strawberry guy. All right. Well, I think I speak for everybody. But I'm I'm glad to see you're back doing some work because you know it was a, a, I like I like there. Savage Passion Fruit Jello. That made its way back to the uh, the last day or two, Rob. <laughs> and I'm Eric Kane. Big thanks to our friends over Exterior Home Solutions who make this possible. Give them a call today for a free estimate, 865-524-5888. All right, we got a full bank of questions. We'll go ahead and dive into it with Hyped. Understanding the offense itself entices playmakers. But has Kelsey Pope out-recruited his expectations thus far? He has answered any questions around his ability uh, to recruit at a, at a high level, Austin. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I think he's off to a good start. I mean, you go back to a year ago, I mean, you know, they, they have a nice eval. And let's, let's give a lot of credit to, you know, Kelsey Pope for standing on the table and the recruiting staff for helping kind of pinpoint Nathan Laycock. Um, you know, uh, and, and then you know, they obviously – Tried hard on several big time guys, weren't able to get them in the boat. Um, you get JJ Harrell early in this process. They're in a good spot with Ryan Wingo. I, I think that fact that Tennessee throws for so many yards, put the receivers in position to be successful, um, it, it's going to help a guy like Kelsey Pope. And Kelsey Pope's super relatable. Um, the, the moment that I had a, a, an in depth conversation with JJ Harrell, not just kind of your normal, hey, where's this recruitment stand type thing, it that's when it dawned on me like, I think Tennessee can hold on to J.J. Harrell long-term because he resonates with Kelsey Pope. Kelsey Pope resonates with him. Similar backgrounds, similar upbringings, um, you know, just just kind of how they, they go about things. So, again, I think he's only going to get better over time. I think right now he's still scratching the surface of what he can be as a recruiter. And, again, it's just it's about learning. I mean, until a year ago he'd never recruited at the Power 5 level, and now all of a sudden he has. Yeah, and I think it's about continuing to recruit more and more guys. Having a bigger board it was probably a little tight last year, uh, and I think the one thing you see out of Kelsey Pope is that um, guys, as you mentioned, guys relate to him. The challenge is getting those guys to campus. And a year ago, he had some guys that related to him and had good conversations with him, Austin, but they didn't end up making it to campus for a visit. That's just to continue growth and to continue next step. And a good product from Tennessee is only going to enhance his ability to do that. 
Nashville Vol 615, a question on Pro Day. With Pro Day approaching, that's March the 30th with the Combine going on this weekend. What Tennessee Pro Day performance in the past has stuck out to you? Is there anyone for any of you guys that kind of comes to mind? Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis. Uh, back then, Tennessee had a policy where you could not go in and watch Pro Day. You had to stay out in the uh, in the Hall of Fame area in the lobby. And so you had you had some agents and some people like that leaning through the window trying to see what happened. And family was allowed upstairs to watch. And when Jamal Lewis ran his 40, which was a – on that track was like a sub 4-4-4. Four, four, four. It's like a 4-3-9 or some crazy number like that. You, you could hear the audible oohs and ahs through the door uh, out into the lobby uh, because he ran it at, at, at that – you know, at the size he was running at. Uh, that's the one that jumps out to me because everybody thought a good time. Nobody thought that kind of time, and obviously it paid off big time for him. We'll go to Vol by Grace. In your opinions, what is the appropriate response for Tennessee to have in the latest news from the NCAA on the football investigation? I hope to see our university go fully on the offense from a legal and public relations perspective, make the NCAA fight out this and open and show the inconsistency and hypocrisy of what it is. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to see them do that, though. Um, I think the only way they would go public with anything hover is if the NCAA tried to take them in front of infractions and it did not go Tennessee's way. Um, I think that at that point you might see them fight it tooth and nail because Tennessee right now is really the only school that's ever just said, Hey, we're guilty. Here's all the evidence against us, you know, show mercy. Like that just never happens. And so, you know, I, I think right now we're in that stage where, they're still negotiating. That's still going on. And, and they're trying to get to a point to where, you know, what's the NCAA willing to accept? I'm not sure the NCAA's ever said, hey, Tennessee, here's where you got to get to if we're going to accept this. Like, so Tennessee's still trying to figure out, you know, what's the moving target? And, you know, again, we talked about this on the board, and, and I think it is easier to do these in podcasts or, or, or videos because you can explain it a little easier. Tennessee was down 12 scholarships that first year. So it's easy, Hubbard, to give things that you don't – I mean, you weren't going to be able to fill that many spots anyways. And you kind of were where you were. And I think the NCAA knows that. And so I think they want Tennessee to give a little bit more. What's the number, though? Is it a couple more scholarships? Is it six? Is it four? Is it two? You know, what are they – and what's Tennessee willing to give? Um, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. They try to work through it. Yeah, Rob, you don't go scorched earth when there's possibility for a resolution still. And um, that I think that's the bottom line where Tennessee's at right now. Well, and and I'm – you know, I think Tennessee's being – maybe I'm being naive. I think Tennessee's being polite about it. They're not going all Auburn right now. But, I mean, like I, I thought – I think AP did a great job of explaining it. Like Tennessee's like, hey, we give up 12 – 12 scholarships and the NCAA is like, well, no, not you really didn't give up anything because you weren't going to fill those spots. I mean, I, I think the NCAA, it feels to me like the NCAA is wanting to work with Tennessee because of everything they've done. But at the end of the day, they still want to have some sort of punitive action, you know, to, as opposed to like you give it, you give it 12 scholarships that you couldn't fill. That, that's not punitive. Yeah. After you had 30 people transfer out. Yeah, and surrender to twelve there. So I mean, what what is that? You know, what does that compromise look like? Can they get to that compromise? And, and I think that's, and, and to be honest with you, I think both schools want to get to that compromise because if you don't, and it has to go before committee, then I do think Tennessee changes their PR narrative about it. You know, uh, and I'm not sure the NCAA wants that PR narrative out there that 
Tennessee paid for the investigation. You know, they paid for all the lawyers and the lawyers got from the NCAA got to sit in and listen to, to all of the interviews that were done by the third party firm. Uh, Tennessee fired everybody on their campus and, you know, all of those types of things. You know, I don't know that it, the NCAA wants the narrative out there that Tennessee was fully cooperative and they still got hammered. At the same time, too, the NCAA doesn't want the narrative out there that Tennessee said, you know, hey, um, we're going to we're going to cancel our tea time when it's raining four and a half inches out there today. And you just accept that. And, and we're going to go on about business, which is is kind of what I think some people view Tennessee self-imposed punishment as because it, it was an easy self-imposed punishment to do. So where's that balancing act? I think that's what both sides are trying to figure out right now. 10 Vols 7 wants to know uh, a basketball question here. After seeing how winning the SEC tournament last year did absolutely nothing to our seeding, I'm convinced the bracket is already set going into that weekend. With that said, how much stock should we be putting into how well or poorly this team performs in the in the SEC tournament? Uh, I think you should put a lot of stock into it just to get a barometer for how they're going to play. But no, I don't. After, after last year, I mean, I agree with the, the poster that you know Tennessee obviously got no bump. From winning, you know, beating Kentucky, winning the tournament, and you know, beating A and M in the championship game. So, other, other than getting a gauge on how your team's playing, no. After last year, I, I'm I agree. But I'm not even sure you can do that, Rob. I mean, you'd like to think you can, but last year they were rolling. First round of the tournament, boom! So, yeah, so you're you're, you're right. <laughs> you're right, AP. It was the four of us out there shooting the ball. I mean, you know what I mean, like. It, I I think in any for most teams, you should be able to get a feel for how you're playing, but. But this group, I'm not sure you really know. Well, and I, and I think that's the challenge for a coach in, in trying to value and try to value the conference tournament, Rob. When you know your team is in, okay, and you know you're firmly in. Now, if you're if you're Cinderella trying to get in, or if you're playing in a conference that has you have to win the conference tournament to get in the tournament, then then it means a lot. But but what what is the what does the SEC tournament mean to Alabama? What does it mean to, to Tennessee? What is I mean, is it worth four days or three days of, of getting beat up? I mean, I think that's something coaches have to manage and deal with and, and think about uh, when, when you're already firmly in the tournament. What is the value of the conference tournament, Rob? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't disagree. And, and last year's, you know, pounded that home to me because, I mean, Tennessee was in a spot where, you, you know, given the chance, you know, they beat, they got they caught Kentucky on a Saturday. They won an SEC tournament and you know a tournament. They didn't play Auburn, but Auburn had been ranked number one, you know, for a good chunk of the year. And Tennessee was the tournament champion, and it 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 did nothing for them in in terms of bumping them up on the seed line or anything. So I, I'm I don't think it'll get to this point. But if I'm Rick Barnes or you know if I'm Nate Oates, why do you not treat it like an exhibition match? Because what's What's the value? I mean, what, why why risk you know having somebody go out there and, and, and get hurt that you're not going to have the next week for when the tournament really does count when they are handing out trophies? I Let's say on basketball here, CN31 says, can this team do what it did against Arkansas moving forward without Zakai Ziegler inside game driving to the basket the way that uh, would really complement the defensive play? Sure, they can. But Hubbard and I talked about this on on the you know after the game on the full court press. It's going to be a different ball game if if Sakai is out. You know, we're when we're recording this, we're still waiting. You know, things obviously. You know, there's some doom and gloom out there, but you know, teams are going to when teams start scouting Tennessee without Sakai, based off the Arkansas game, based off 
Auburn, you know, if he doesn't play, then, then I think it's going to be a different animal, and I think it's going to get tougher. And, and Arkansas, and I don't want to take anything away from what Tennessee accomplished Tuesday night because that was that was a good win, and I'll give this team credit for handling, you know, the the, the Ziegler situation because that's a tough deal to watch. That's as quiet, Rob, as you'll hear Thompson Bowling Arena uh, when, when he was on the floor there. Um, but that, that's not a great Arkansas defense. Um, you know, they're a high-scoring offense. They're an okay defense and not a great defense. And uh, Tennessee's going to play a lot of harder teams, and – I would imagine Auburn is going to pressure the heck out of Tennessee. Um, I, I think they're going to try to wear down, you know, Santiago if he's playing point guard. I, I mean, maybe they don't go full court press the whole game, Rob, but they're going to pick up three-quarter court. They're going to make him turn. They're going to make him dribble right hand, left hand. They're, they're going to make him work to get the ball across the timeline. And I think a lot of teams are going to do that, hoping that they can create a, a mistake or, or wear somebody down, whether it's, you know, Biscovi or, or whoever – is splitting times at that point guard position. I think that's the biggest change you're going to see in defensive strategy is they're going to pressure the ball and try to get Tennessee to start their offense further away from the basket because of the lack of point guard or of a true point guard. Am I the only one that doesn't just love Jemai Meshack as like this bigger point guard? If he can, if he can handle it, if he can handle it. I, 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 and Hubbard both made faces. <laughs> I, mean, I, I listen. I, 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 I've only talked to that kid a handful of times. I absolutely love that kid. I love his mental makeup. I love what he's all about. He is clearly getting more and more comfortable on the offensive side of the floor. Um, but can he run it? You know, can he run an offense? I, I, you know, I, I think that Rick Barnes can run this thing, Rob, through a lot of guys, right? You can go you can go through the four. You can run Josiah as a point forward in the half-court set. But I think it still gets back down to who's going to create a play for you late in the clock when you've got to have a play. I mean, there, there's a reason Zakai Ziegler had, you know, several double-doubles this year. It's because he, he, he could create points for you. Who is going to be that guy? Is that Meshack? I don't – I mean, some – I mean, sometimes he can drive the lane and do some things like that. But, you know, I don't know that they've got a guy who you put the ball in their hand and say go finish a possession late and, and get us a get us a great look. Who's that going to be? I don't know who that is right now. I, I'm yeah, not I'm, saying you put him in there for every minute, Rob. I'm just saying, like, I thought it was a nice change of pace when Zakai went down. And and, and it, it to me, it, it put him in a position to just kind of help run things and it – you know, versus like, okay, what's he going to do in the framework of the offense as someone who's not the point guard? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with Hubbard. I, I love Jemai and can't say enough good things about it. I mean, just from a strictly skill standpoint, I mean, this may be oversimplified. I, I don't think he's got a strong enough left hand to, to really be your primary ball handler all, all the time. And I, I think, T, I think if you, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe, you know, I just, it's a small sample size. I, th- I think ball handling wise, um, I just I don't know that he's there yet. Where you want him having the ball in his hands all the time, but man, he played it in a part time role for the first time ever against a good Arkansas team and had five assists on Tuesday night. So I mean, tip of the cap. I- I'm going to see if teams will let him continue to get straight downhill with drives the way Arkansas did. That's where he created it, and Austin, I think that's what you're talking about creating some offense because he's got the size that when he gets in the lane, he doesn't get lost and, and he can do things that way, which I think is, is interesting to see 
how do they create those matchups to where he can dive down the lane the way that they the way that they did? Um, I, I I mean, where he's at right now compared to a month ago offensively is is a million miles, which is a credit to him, Rob, and, and a credit to the minutes he's logged and, and the experience he's gained it from it. He's not. I mean. Early in the year, it looked like it was a game of hot potato on the offensive end of the floor when somebody threw him the ball. It was like, get it out of my hands as quick as I can. Doesn't feel that way with his game at all right now. Yeah, and it's it's the one silver lining from having Julian and, and Josiah miss, you know, four and, and or five games is that Meshack is 100% clearly gained a lot of confidence from being thrown into the fire and playing 20-plus minutes a game. I mean, he's he's a different kid than he was four, four weeks ago. Yeah. Over under how many more games, Rob, until the GQ starts uh, wanting to put him at defensive back as as, as many uh, steals as he's had lately? Uh, is it already happening? Is, <laughs> is, is, is he not already penciled in for like starting free safety in the Orange Y game? Cool. Uh, nickel. Nickel. <laughs> they need some help back there. He's, I'll, I'll say this. For this team, the silver lining is, is two guys. It's Meshack and what he's done. And and the continued progression of Tobey Awanka. Um, Tobey. We, we talked about it on the message board. He didn't finish it, Rob, because I think he was shocked he was there. But but the spin move he had to, to the baseline where he missed the layup about broke the backboard because he was he was a, a a thousand miles an hour at the rim. That spin move is something we haven't seen. You can you can clearly see he's improving on, on that end of the floor uh, and his footwork's getting a lot better. I, I like the direction he's going as well. All right, let's go on now to Southerner six or Southerner ninety eight. When a school has to pay a fine or is deducted a percentage of the conference payout, as is laid out in the reported upcoming penalties for the university's investigation, where or whom does that money go to? I mean, if my guess is, if it's a reduced amount of what the conference gives you, the conference probably keeps that in their coffers, right? Um, if you're paying a fine to the NCAA, I'm assuming you're writing a check to the NCAA. But I don't know the answer to that question. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doolittle Vol says, do you think either one of the rule proposed uh, for the running clock will pass? Has there ever been any discussion on the logical way to shorten games in terms of shortening halftime or excessive TV timeouts? It's a really popular topic that's going on right now and the, with the expected proposed rule changes for the clock. But one thing's for certain, Brent, correct me if I'm wrong, there ain't no way they're going to cut any TV timeouts out. That's where, the mon- that's where you make money. <laughs> I mean, what's, the check- what's the proposed check next year for the SEC? $75 million, $74 yeah, million. Yeah, around there. Yeah, they're probably not going to give back a lot of TV time. Um, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see that happening. I think there'll be some clock adjustment. I don't know that all of the proposed clock stuff will go the, through. The the running of the clock after the incomplete pass, no way in hell that passes. That's I don't not think gonna so. No. I mean, there, 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 I don't think that's going to take place at all. Um, you know, uh, but but I think there could be some adjustment with, with some of that running clock stuff, that, that out-of-bounds stuff and some of those things, a little bit more like the NFL rules which have shortened those games. The NFL rule stops the clock on incomplete passes, but they have like not rule. stopping the clock after a first down. Yeah, things yeah. like that. I, I think you can. I think you will see some kind of tweak potentially that way, um, that, com, compared to what you've seen in the past. I guess. Can, can you imagine like the, the way they the way they try to? I mean, think about coaches using you know faking injuries, trying to you know slow tempo teams down. Like you know, Heupel's like got the lead late. Hey, just run fifty-yard bombs, Joe. Overthrow them, and then the incomplete passes. It takes forever to get back to the line of scrimmage, and the clock runs out. Just chucking deep balls. You know what I mean? I mean, like there, there's too much, too much wiggle room on stuff like that for that to be able to get through. Yeah, it just doesn't. It, it does. That doesn't enhance the game. That 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 doesn't help the enjoyment value of the game in any way, shape, or form. I don't think anybody's going to sign off on that rule. Also, I think it's hilarious that like we're at we're at a point in time now where everything's just like, oh yeah, for health and safety of the players. Man, bull crap. No, it's never about health and safety of the players. The NFL just added a 17th game in the regular season. Nobody cares about that. Uh, that's just funny. All right, let's go to Athron. A couple of questions. Austin on JJ Harrell. Uh, who, with him now on the boat, who are the other prime wide receiver targets? Well, you know Tennessee's going to swing hard at Ryan Wingo to the end. Swing hard at Mike Matthews. Both those will be dog fights. Tennessee's in a good spot with both. Um, you know, when you think about kind of where the recruitment is, um, you know, but again, a long way to go in both. Um, and, and then Amari Jefferson in state wide receiver from Baylor is someone that will visit later this month that, uh, Matt's had an update on Chad just wrote an update on, um, just committed to Tennessee for baseball. So to me, those would be along with Harold would be your top four headliners for this weekend's junior day. Well, there'll be a lot of 24s, um, or sorry, a lot of 25s and just a few 24s. Most of those 24s that everybody's wanting to see get back in here um, will be uh, coming for spring practice to see Tennessee go through meetings, go through his practice, go through the orange and white game, um, all those things. So this week will be more about future classes than it will be the class of 2024. Yeah, if I were a 24, I wouldn't come to this junior day. I mean, I, I would I would want to see a practice. I would want to wait till two weekends later and come see a practice because I think I'm going to get more value out of that right. in terms of trying to make my decision. For a 25 or 26, maybe it's an introduction to yep. Kansas and you couldn't make it in January because you had basketball or, or another sport going on. So that, that makes some sense. But if I'm a 24 and Tennessee's in my top 10 or whatever edit I put out there of my top schools, I, I want to see them practice. I'm at the point I need to see them practice to where I can see how I fit in, see how meetings go as opposed to – just being there to to get a tour of the facility and and to see a hype video and just kind of hang out. I, I'm I'm more about football than I am about a photo shoot or anything else at this point. If I'm a 24, now that he's eligible, how much of a difference maker will Ahuna be? Um, to put it short, he's a major league baseball prospect, number 22 on MLB a pipelines list. Um, he's probably got the best defensive glove infield wise in the league, and he had 400 last year. 
Um, he had a 20, he ended the season on a 19 game hit streak. He played for team USA baseball this past summer. He's going to be a difference maker for he, sure. He is. And, and, you know, Tony Vitello, um, had a chance to sit in. He came and read for Dr. Seuss day and my kid's school earlier this week. And, um, you know, they were asking him, you know, what, what, you know, what are your you know, favorite players? And, and, and he, he just, he just raved about the talent level and the work ethic and, and kind of how Maui approached the eight game ineligible run. And just, I mean, he, it, you can tell he, he thinks that this is a huge, huge deal getting him eligible and getting him ready for that big conference run. Yeah. As a pro, he simply put, he's a pro. I mean, that, that's, he's not a, he's not a high school kid trying to figure it out. He's a pro who, who knows that, you know, this is his job and this is the, the last step in his job before he gets a big paycheck. Last one here from Math Run. Thoughts on the wide-ranging start dates for spring practice this year. Missouri spring practices end before Tennessee's even start. That's up to each coach. I mean, David Cutcliffe did that at Duke. Um, you know, they, they went in February to get it done. Um, his belief was you get that done early and anybody that needs to, to rehab an injury or, or anything like that has an opportunity to do that. Um, finish out classes in the semester, and then obviously it gives you a longer time to train, um, you know, into your summer workouts and everything like that. It's just a coach's preference. There are no guidelines that says when you can and can't run your spring practice and, and when you do your spring game. So it's just a, you know, and and Josh Heupel likes to go straight. He doesn't like a break in between. I mean, Tennessee for years, Austin would practice two weeks, take a week off for spring break and come back and practice two more weeks, which was kind of bizarre. This is, you know, we've seen out of Josh Heupel. He likes to run it all the way through, and so he's not going to start till after spring break is over. See, I, you know, and, and if I had another one of those years, if I was a coach, and I had one of those years where you were going to be without, like, your whole secondary, your whole linebacker core, I think I'd like it in February and just kind of, you know, get get the, you know, get it over with and then get to training back with some of those guys. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I That's just kind of how I feel as far as timeline, but – Tennessee's got a healthy team, so I'd rather go later if I was Tennessee. Rob, let's get a couple of hoops questions here. Sam Smith, twenty-two thirty-three. What is the team ceiling without Zakai Ziegler? I mean, if you, if you just base it off, I mean, we've got thirty-eight minutes to look at. Basically, they they obviously look great against Arkansas. I mean, Tennessee can. I mean, I still think they can beat anybody on any night, the way they play defense. I mean, I wouldn't look for them to rattle off six wins in a tournament without Zakai. I still think they can make the Sweet 16. We'll put it there. And then last hoops question here. Um, this is from Miami Joe. Did you guys expect more out of Julian Phillips so far this year? It's good to get him back. He's a really good defender. And, of course, he, he, you know, he, he proved big last night just being back on the court. But overall, with Julian Phillips. Yes, I expected more than – what's been there. I mean, he's had flashes, Rob, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we I all expected, expected more after the USC game. Yeah, exactly. Like, like to jump up and get up. I was going to say after the Bahamas. At... Yeah. Jump up and after get like what a he did against point USC game or a 25 point game or something like 26. that. I think we all kind of expected that to, uh, to, to happen a few more as somebody's lagging here on this stream. But overall, he plays good defense, and he's getting better at rebounding. But just in terms of a point score, I think we all expect a little bit more. Um, 
Austin, back to you. This is iHeart Falls. Is Merklinger a realistic target, or is he leveraging UT to try to get some bigger offers? No, he's very much a realistic target. He he, he likes Tennessee a lot. Likes Joey Halsley a lot. Um, you know, he's already got the Georgia stuff. I mean, it's just a matter of they're starting to turn the heat on him a little bit more. Um, so no, I, I think that Tennessee's a real, real option there. Um, if he was committing today, I actually think I would take Tennessee. Um, but uh, you know. We'll see kind of where it goes, um, you know, over the course of the next month because he's going to take several visits. Yeah, I, I mean, for if I'm him and I have interest in Georgia, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Austin, don't you say – I know he's talking about making a quick decision. Don't you wait and see what that Georgia quarterback room looks like post-spring when that when that next win, transfer window opens up? Maybe that doesn't affect him, but I, at this point, I wouldn't rush if Georgia's a real factor for me. I kind of want to sit back and see – what the Georgia quarterback situation looks like coming out of spring practice to kind of get a feel for where I would be in their pecking order. Somebody, okay. somebody has to leave, right, Hubs? I mean, I, there's no way, there's no way that they go through another cycle and don't lose somebody. If they do, then those kids are just content riding the pine. LF Vol says between 2022 and 2023. One could argue that Tennessee is recruited um, best with edge guys, even if they needed to add some bulk. Yep. With that starting to happen, describe how you expect Banks will use them given past tendency to play bigger guys on the other side. It's hard to keep seeing them. Um, it's hard to keep seeing them happy if we only rotate one position and we need pass rush help. Well, I think you'll continue to see them use them more and more and more, especially when you got guys that put on weight. Pierce came in. A little bigger than 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 Josephs, but mature maturity wise was not ready yet. Josephs at the point was further ahead. He was not as big, but he he he's going to get passed by if he don't start to put on some weight hubs. I mean, like you look at you know Caleb Herring's to put on twenty one pounds. He was at two hundred six when he got here. He's two twenty seven. James Pierce up to two forty one. He was two twenty seven last year. You know, uh, I know they had him listed at two forty. He was not. And, right. And so you know, you start you know seeing some of these guys take some drastic gains in the weight room. I've said all along, I think that Tennessee is most likely to take its next step as a football program when some of the younger defenders take the step. And if that happens, whether it's guys that are freshmen this year or were freshmen last year, then I think then this defense takes a huge step to improvement and being, I'm not saying the best defense in the country, but way more of a factor than just being someone who's trying to get in front of somebody to slow the other team down. So it maybe get a three and out or a, a you know, a turnover and get the deep or offense, the ball back. Yeah. And here's the other thing too. I, I would disagree with the, the, the question a little bit. I mean, what, what is, what is Roman Harrison way, Austin? G- give me a ballpark guess. You're, you're much better at that stuff than I am. What, what what would you put, what would you put Roman Harrison's weight at? 225, 230. Okay. So I mean, they played Roman Harrison and Byron Young at the same time, right? So it's it's not like they lined – I mean, when they got into pass rush situations, and, and more often than not, they were sliding and playing Tyler Barron inside. So they were playing with two lighter ends, you know? I mean, it wasn't like they were playing with, with 265 on one side and 220 yeah. on the other. So you could certainly see Joseph and Pierce on the field at the same time, and, and you could certainly see – you know, Pierce and Tyree West. And I, I don't I don't think that's that big of a deal. I think in year one, there was a little bit of play, a strong side end, a little bit bigger guy. 
Yeah. I, I think they kind of I think they kind of morphed in that a little bit and, and ended up playing with two true ends, particularly in, in, in pass rush situations. So I, I don't I don't think anybody's gonna feel left out or they're they're gonna rotate four rush ends at just one spot. I don't think that's the way they'll play defense. Well think about it too. Um Jaquan Blakely played that strong side in a year ago. Tyler Barron slash um, Latrell Bumpus played it this past year. But again, on, on third downs, you're in Rabbits. You mentioned Tyree, Tyree West is out there. You had Roman Harrison and Byron Young. You had uh, Tyler Barron playing a three technique in Rabbits. Like, it, it, it all just kind of changes depending on down situation and package. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of time where there are multiple Leos out there at the same time. Well, and when those guys mature mentally – and figure it and start to figure it out. They understand 30 snaps are better than 50 snaps. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and so play 12, 13 guys. And, and and that's something that Rodney Garner did a year ago. I think everybody bought into it. And that defensive front was better for it. There's no reason why they shouldn't be in the same situation this year where you got 12, 13 guys playing and you're not playing somebody 50 or 60 snaps in a game, particularly with the bodies that you have at those Leo spots and, and the outside guys. All right, let's do one more here. Um, this has been kind of a question we've, we've gotten on the board a little bit, especially towards the end of the season. Uh, there's no doubting the athletic ability and speed and all that of, uh, of a guy like D. Williams who can make some plays happen with the ball in his hands, but he's not getting any run at corner, right? Um, is there any possibility that Tennessee would, would look to try to you know have some packages for him to try to utilize that that ability if he's not contributing in the defensive backfield. I, I don't know why you couldn't use him in a, in a way that, you know, Butch and them used Evan Barry there for a minute just on some jet sweeps. I mean, he's, he is special with the ball in his hands. Again, though, that's up to the coaches. You know, I mean, we all sit here and dream this stuff up and, 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 and think about what could be all day long. But, you know, he's, he's definitely special with the ball in his hands, Hubs. Um, you know, and, and for whatever reason, whether it's he can't, you know, mentally handle it or whatever, um, he's not been able to crack the the real rotation at corner. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, if you talk about doing that on offense, isn't that what you're talking about doing with Cam Seldon? You know, some of yep. that stuff too. I mean, I, I think when you look at it, and this is probably something I, I will I will work mm-hmm. on for a written story before spring practice starts. Who has to have? Who is this the most important spring for? Who's this quote a big spring for? Okay, I think you could talk about those young receivers that were freshmen. John Campbell. You know, yeah, but 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 I mean, I think John Campbell, it's a big spring because Tennessee needs him to contribute. I'm talking about who's going to try to earn their way. D. Williams better show up this spring somewhere other than the punt return game if he's going to be a factor beyond the punt return. There's more competition at the corner with all those freshmen coming in. So you better you better do something to create a niche for yourself. Um, and, and I think this is when you look at guys out there who needs to have a big spring, who must show that type of thing. I think this is a huge spring for D Williams. He's a punt returner. Okay. I think he's going to be the kickoff guy, but if it's beyond that, he's got to show that he can do something this spring beyond that, which obviously Tennessee had no confidence in him in, in the defensive backfield as the season progressed last year. Exterior Home Solutions, bringing you coverage here of the VolQuest Podcast and the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Give them a call today for a free estimate. That's today, 655-524-5888. Big thanks to our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. By the way, to answer further answer the, to further answer how you shorten games, 
don't go to the reviews like we could do right now and kill another two minutes on this podcast. If we want to go back and review our answers, whether they were good answers or not, that's the other issue that college football has to address. Austin, whether that's you, you do it the NFL challenge way or whatever you do, but, but, but don't stop the game four or five times a half, you know, per half for, for reviews of plays, you're losing time there in those games. And that's something that's, that's, Timing-wise, creates a difference between the college game and the NFL game as well. It, to, to, and I'll make this brief because my voice needs a break. But I always tell high school ADs because high school you know, TV games take forever. No, they don't. Every high school team throws it now. Gibbs, Gibbs, your school hubs, chucks it all over the lot now, right? And, <laughs> Did last year. <laughs> and so what happens though? High school, high, most high schools aren't real proficient at it. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying they can't throw it, right? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. But the percentage of completed passes is not 80%, 70%. Right. Right. So incomplete passes, stop games. Lack of defense anymore and, and, and lots of touchdowns. Slow down games because you have you have all this time in between the extra point and the kickoff. I know people don't realize, but you, you let a minute, two minutes, that you do that times 10, all of a sudden that adds up to an extra 20 or 30 minutes of, of, of real time. You, you factor in the TV timeouts. They're not going away, as Eric said. They're, they're not. They're not doing picture in picture like we do at Rivalry Thursday uh, for for the SEC games. So, like you know, it, it just boils down to all this stuff adds up to the game slowing down more and more and more and more. How do you try to rein it back in? The NFL does a masterful job at reining it back in. Maybe they just need to designate more people in Birmingham or wherever to go. We don't need to review that. That's a common sense. Buzz him in his ear and say, "That's a that's a first down. Let's keep going." You know, there's no point to slow it down. You know. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and that's I mean that's an issue, and, and that's not that's not going to go away. You know, the the same way you know the injury factor is going to be out there. Um, you know, there, there's some execution of the game. I, I think you have to be careful, and I didn't mean to get on this tangent at the end here, but I, I think you have to be careful, Eric, that you don't attack the integrity of the game in some way by creating a clock rule to try to speed the game up. Make sure you don't change the integrity of the game in some form or fashion. I think the clock running on an incomplete pass affects the integrity and the strategy of the game. And and I think that's something you have to be careful of in in protecting the, the game and the competitiveness of the game itself. 100% 100% look at what baseball's turned into in some certain areas of the game. I mean, it's, it is, in my opinion, truly affecting the game. And I'm not talking about a pitch clock. I, I really, I really don't have much issue with a pitch clock to be completely honest with you. Uh, but, but a bunch of the other stuff like bigger bases, cutting down the, the distance between first and seconds, uh, the stupid runner at second base rule. It's all stupid. It's not baseball. So that's just one example for another sport, but I completely agree. And while we're on this tangent, hey, let's stop going to the monitor so much late in basketball games. Oh and for, God. for for God's sake, don't do it in baseball either. We're, we're nine, ten games in the season, and there's been more reviews in baseball than I'm comfortable with sharing. It's it's a little annoying. So well, they'll, they'll, review, they'll review common sense things, and then when Tennessee actually goaltended the Arkansas kid last night, they didn't do anything about that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in the, the last, I mean, if you got three minutes on the clock in a basketball game, it's going to take you thirty plus minutes to play it. Yep. I mean, because they're going to the monitor and they're going, and I and I, I'm all for getting it right. I, I want to get it right, but I mean, the the Texas A&M game against the Tennessee Texas A&M, they went to the monitor after every possession for like five straight possessions. Well, look at the Vanderbilt game. Look at the Vanderbilt game. Go to the monitor. Play. They, go to the monitor. 
know. It was 828. 828. Which, I mean, normally the game is two hours. So if it starts at seven, it ends at nine. Give or take two or three minutes. Might be 903, might be 857. There was the under four timeout in the second half at 828. I know this because I was driving home. And I was like, this game is flying. The game still didn't end. The last four minutes, it took like 30 minutes almost to play. It didn't end almost nine. I mean, like, it's amazing. Yeah. That's something they got to address, particularly in the game of football, when you're trying to, when you're trying to, you know, where there's a clear emphasis on trying to speed some things up. Yeah. And some of those proposals, I think, are okay. They don't attack the integrity of the game, but two of them, as Brent pointed out, I think you're changing a lot. You're changing too much. So we'll see. Uh, again, big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for bringing us coverage here of this podcast. For Rob Lewis, Austin Price, Brent Hubbs, I'm Mary Kane. Appreciate you guys for sending in those questions. Uh, stay dialed in to uh, Big Junior Day coming up this weekend. Of course, Tennessee at Auburn. Tennessee baseball is happening right now. All that and more right here on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe this, uh, to the channel, like this video, and everything you could possibly want on Tennessee athletics. As always, it's at VolQuest.com. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.